I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. I'd like to welcome to Truth of the Matter a very special friend, Asaf Arayan, who is a retired brigadier general in the Israeli Defense Forces. Asaf served for 32 years on active duty. He is currently in the reserves and he's been called up since October 7th, working hard with IDF. He's also a fellow at Washington Institute for Near East Policy, and he's also at the INSS, the Institute for National Security Studies at Tel Aviv University. During Asaf's long service, he headed the strategic division in the IDF General Staff Planning Directorate. He served in different roles in the Israeli defense intelligence apparatus, serving in both Intel and SIGINT. Asaf, welcome to the podcast. This is extraordinary circumstances we're talking under, and I'm so glad to be with you. Shalom, Andrew, and thank you for inviting. I think one thing I, I wanted to ask is, you know, Israel has gone through a year and a half of political upheaval. What's going on now? I've been told there's tremendous unity and politics have been gone by the wayside. Is that is that your read on what's happening? I think nationally, most people are united and focused on the war effort and on volunteering to uphold the society and the needs of the displaced. We have uh, almost you know, around 200,000 people displaced from our northern and southern borders. You see some islands of low-life uh, politics, but I think by and large, the, the society is united around the retrieval of our hostages, the release of our hostages, our fighting forces in Gaza, and supporting the communities that have been bereaved and massacred in, in that uh, terrible Saturday on October 7th. Explain what October 7th was like. You've, you know, you're in Israel right now. You were in Israel on October 7th. Explain how you felt, how Israelis felt. What was the shock like? Uh, it was Saturday morning. I woke up uh, early, started uh, looking at reports. Around 6.30, we started uh, seeing the sirens and alarm against uh, rocket attacks in the south and beyond the south. It, it looked a bit uh, extraordinary because uh, just a few weeks before that, we reached, uh, or the government has reached a uh, an agreement with Hamas on better economic measures and more working permits for Gazans in Israel and, and so on. So it came out of the blue in, in a sense. But shortly afterwards, there was a video clip moving around showing a white pickup with a black gunman in one of our southern towns in Sneot. This was totally out of the ordinary. Then a more and more reports of terrorists roaming southern Israel more and more communities were being attacked. And uh, within a few hours, I already went to my unit and, and started uh, my active uh, duty. Only later did we understand the size, the scope, the fact that about 4,000 rockets were fired within the first four hours. And then uh, understanding that about uh, 3,000 Hamas terrorists punched through our uh, border fence around the Gaza Strip and assaulted uh, border communities, our uh, IDF units, overwhelming the defenses, conducting mass uh, murder, rape, and what have you. 
It left uh, more than uh, 1,200 dead, 240 hostages in Gaza, and 1,000 more injured. So the beginning was a kind of a system uh, shock. And then and there, we, we started climbing up from this ditch that we found ourselves in. When you say black gunmen, you're talking about the black uniforms of Hamas. That must have been even to, you know, battle-hardened soldiers who were not on the scene to see video of that. Anyone would think this is terrifying, considering the communities in southern Israel felt pretty defenseless. What was that like to see that? First, you don't understand the scale. When, when you see just, you know, one pickup to say, hey, this is ISIS uh, style, the same pickups and then the same apparel, so to speak, with the heavy weapons, they came armed uh, to the teeth. Their armory was very, very impressive. When you see one, you say, okay, it's, it, it might have been an isolated attack. But when you scale up to 3,000 people on uh, bicycles, like motorcycles, uh, and uh, more and more uh, pickups like that, and spreading across the border area communities, going from home to home, shooting whole families or kidnapping them to, to Gaza, attacking a music party in nature, butchering o- almost 300 people there. This is something in a scale and a shock that we haven't ever seen in the history of, of Israel. This was the bloodiest day for, for the Jewish people, I guess, since World War II and the Holocaust. And since then, as you said, Israel has been trying to climb back and has been fighting pretty much full throttle in the South. Are you worried about a more regional war? Are you worried about Hezbollah? Are you worried about the Houthis, etc., the Syrians? What is the concern right now with that? Most of what you hear is the focus on the Gaza and Hamas frontier. So it's like a bilateral battle between Israel and army of terror residing in in Gaza, but also having branches in the West Bank, in Lebanon, in Syria and elsewhere. But zooming out, just as you said, we see multiple frontiers open up. Now since October 8th, Hezbollah up north in Lebanon has been shooting and launching missiles and rockets and sniping and even border infiltration attacks across the blue line, the border between us and and Lebanon. They're openly saying we do it in solidarity and in support of Hamas in Gaza. We're trying to divert and pin down Israeli forces to make sure that the IDF cannot focus all its efforts on the Gaza Strip. And you could hear it in their speeches in their media channels and so on, the document, they say it openly. So we have a kind of an open frontier with a low intensity war of attrition on our Lebanese border. But we need to admit this, the highest intensity uh, that we saw since the second Lebanon war in 2006. At the same time, there is a pretty high level of fair attempts and attacks in the West Bank. Just today, there was an attack of three gunmen from Hamas, from Hebron. They killed one soldier and seven or six more. All of them were killed, but they definitely came for a killing spree. 
So West Bank is another frontier. In Syria, we see a flow of Shiite militias and Iranian weapons going from Iran through Iraq to Syria and to Lebanon with the Hezbollah advanced weaponry and so on. And we also received some rocket fire from Syria itself. You probably read that Yemen is launching ballistic and cruise missiles and drones at Israel and over the Red Sea. Some of them were intercepted by the U.S. CENTCOM fleet, some of them by Saudi Arabia, some of them by uh, Israel's own uh, ballistic missile defense, Arrow 2 and 3. Iraq has been threatening. The Houthis in Yemen are also threatening the sea lines in the Bab el-Mandeb Red Sea Straits. Uh, so we actually see the whole of what Iran has been establishing and the axis of resistance when all the members somehow share the burden of fighting Israel, seemingly without, you know, one guiding hand. But it's difficult not to see the resemblance in methods, in weapons, in, in the synchrony of attacks, even if it's decentralized. Each of those proxies decides when to go ballistic. We're focused on Gaza, but we're looking at a multiple front engagement. When it comes to Gaza, U.S. officials, British officials have said that not only was Israel caught unaware of this, but the United States was caught unaware of what happened on October 7th. None of the U.S. intelligence thought it was happening. British intelligence and Israeli. Is Israel now ready to face all of these other threats? We were definitely caught unprepared and surprised. We will investigate and do, you know, the, the official inquiry into how we got there. There are at least two intelligence failures, both a basic surprise and a situational surprise. Understanding the mindset that Hamas leadership is in, we thought they were more, more focused on economy and governance. Failed to see that they're preparing a huge onslaught, the largest they ever made. We failed to see the operational scope or the strategic scope of this attack coming. So even those who suspected that something is coming thought of something much smaller in size and scale. Definitely on the situational aspect, we failed to early warn about this uh, time frame. There was also an operational lapse that the forces were too few and unready and the defense itself wasn't robust enough. Although people trusted the border obstacle too highly, I would say, there were additional failures that we are already correcting. And there's a policy failure because since 2007, we adopted more or less a policy of, yes, we can live with Hamas. We only need to degrade it occasionally and deter it. By some economic measures, it will stay contained. That's, I would say, a policy failure that will also need to be addressed. All of these are being rectified in a sense, and they reflect in our war goals. In my service, I served during the 2008, 12, 14, 18, 21, 22, and 23 in May conflicts in Gaza. All of these were conducted under a limited scope of war goals, you know, degrade the military capability, exact cost, on the other side, try to go back to deterrence and stabilize economically. This time it's over and the goal is to eliminate the uh, army of terror capability and the governance capability. We understand all uh, the previous times we said it's too costly 
and what will happen in the power vacuum if we topple Hamas. This time it's very evident that power vacuum, although undesirable, is less dangerous than a stable Hamas. They're building its force, enlarging its threat every time and again, expanding its arsenal, its lethality, its capability. So this time it's, it's a different ballgame altogether. Asaf, Israel may be able to eliminate the threat of Hamas now and dismantle it as we know it, but how does Israel eliminate the idea of Hamas? It's not for Israel to eliminate the idea. It wasn't the idea that came over the border. What committed this massacre is a military capability, a terror, an army of terror capability. We already see the rocket fire since they already shot about 10,000 rockets at us, by the way, causing limited damage, much uh, thanks to the Iron Dome and other missile defense systems, the David Sling and so on. And that's a moment to be appreciative of the U.S. support of the development and deployment of that system. So the threat of the rocket fire is still there, but it's much smaller now. When we go in and degrade Hamas military capabilities, the military units, the command and control people, the leadership, the underground infrastructure, their weapon system, their anti-tank, their naval, air, and Nukba, this commando unit, all of this will degrade their capability. Now, we need to be realistic. It's not something that will be completed within a month, within two months, within three months. But we understand that this time, as I wrote in my recent piece in Foreign Affairs, we are looking at a long war. We need to be able to go for the long haul. It wouldn't be on the same, in the same intensity that we see now in, in the current phase. We, we're going through phases. The next phases might look differently in scope, in volume, in, in size. But over time, we will degrade gradually and defeat Hamas. And then the idea we need to compete with other ideas in the Palestinian realm. It's not for Israel to create, you know, competing ideas for an Arab and Muslim audiences. This is for Arabs and Muslims to, to do. And uh, looking at our partners uh, around the, the peace countries in Egypt, in Jordan, in the Abraham Accords, definitely I think the U UAE should be lauded for its brave and blatant denouncement of terror. And I think they provide an alternative ideology to this radical eliminational ideology. I believe that there are alternatives out there. They will need to fight between themselves and compete. And uh, we, we're not aspiring or presuming to change the ideology. We are seeking to degrade and defeat the military capability, enabling the terror to go on. Asaf, Hamas had to know this would be Israel's response, a heavy, heavy response. Are they getting what they wanted? Tens of thousands of civilians in Gaza killed and injured. Some of the, the anti-Semitism around the world is increased you know, by hundreds of percent. Countries are lining up against Israel. Is this what Hamas wanted? Is this why they did this? I think they, uh, they are facing a mixed balance of uh, things they hoped for and things they haven't hoped for and things that they couldn't predict, I think. My guess is that they overshot 
They over-succeeded. The size of this massacre was above and beyond the democratic nations can tolerate. And it removes a lot of inhibitions. If in the past we would say, oh, we can go and maneuver into Gaza, but the results won't justify the cost. Now we are ready to go and invest a lot of manpower, uh, you know, blood and treasure and time and uh, our economic investment. You know, the whole economy is now a war economy and we are ready to go there. I don't know if this is what they expected. They surely expected that the members of Axis of Resistance, Hezbollah, the West Bank, Iran, will join them in solidarity and Israel will be simultaneously attacked from all directions. I think at the bottom line, yes, Hezbollah is harassing us, but as uh, Nasrallah said in his speeches, they're not going to war. Iran has just uh, poured cold water on Hamas saying, you haven't told us about uh, the date of the operation, so we're not committed to enter the fight. Surely Hamas enjoys what it sees as Israel shocked and responsive about that. At the same time, when you ask, okay, don't they care about the, the populace of, of Gaza? It was very telling to hear one of their leadership being asked, why aren't there shelters for the population? Why aren't you taking the population into the tunnels? He said the tunnels are for us, you know, the resistance, the military activity. And since most of the Gaza Strip population are refugees, it's the UN job to protect this uh, population. So when Israel is targeting military targets in the most populated uh, piece of land on earth, and it warns the population to leave this battle space that Hamas has chosen, and encouraging them to go south to the less intensive area of fighting. So some of them leave. Hamas is working proactively to stop it, putting roadblocks, taking people's car keys, even exploding explosive device inside the convoys of people going south, shooting mortar shells at the people leaving and trying to maintain this uh, human shield around them. And uh, when uh, Israel is, uh, is uh, warning and encouraging evacuation of the battlefield, so only combatants will stay, that would be uh, much more desirable than uh, having the, this uh, war amongst the people. Uh, Hamas is quite enjoying the international uh, community criticism about Israel moving uh, 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 population from its homes and so on, but uh, I think we need to, uh, to uh, face uh, grave choices between putting those, this uh, population in, uh, in uh, let's say, discomfort of leaving their homes or putting them in, in uh, a mortal peril of being uh, stuck in, in the crossfire and getting killed. And yes, I, I think that uh, Hamas is, is waging this uh, war, choosing the battlefields, using the sanctuaries, hiding in, uh, in uh, hospitals, using uh, sanctuaries and protected uh, areas as, uh, uh, let's say, military location of, of its choice, and then using it both to deter Israel from uh, attacking it 
and then if Israel uh, attacks it uh, to try and tarnish our reputation and and uh, uh, get us to bleed a reputational cost in, in this sense. When the United States and Israel have both said independently of each other that Hamas is using hospitals and other civilian places to store weapons, to store fighters, why are they still winning the PR war when it comes to, you know, nobody seems to believe the United States. Nobody seems to believe Israel. It's a question of predisposition. I think that uh, the Iranian school of war using hospitals, using mosques, using, using schools is actually abusing uh, the international norms. Uh, when, when a democracy wages war, uh, by law, by the international law, um, by the, the uh, law of armed uh, conflict, and it targets only military targets, but the military targets is embedded inside uh, uh, those uh, sanctuaries or populated areas or urban areas. Uh, you find yourself uh, stuck between your own values and an enemy using your values against you. But uh, uh, to uphold our values, we need the first to stay alive. So we still uphold the, the law. We attack only legal uh, targets. Uh, we used to go above and beyond, you know, uh, before attacking a military target, we used to call the building and attack it with a small munition. It was called the knock on roof and then allow the, the, the residents to leave. But uh, most of the time, the military targets also leave, like the Hamas leadership left those buildings. And this time around, we said, okay, we need to eradicate uh, military leadership and military command and control and, and other command posts and so on. So we warned the populace in general, everybody should know that if they reside with a military target, it's a legitimate uh, military target to, uh, to attack. And they even, uh, you know, at the early stages of uh, this war, they complained that we attack without pre-warning. So we actually habituated them uh, into this uh, almost polite uh, sort of fighting. So they, they threatened that if we attack without pre-warning, they will execute our hostages. We are looking at an enemy committing an endless number of war crimes with its own stra uh, military strategy being based on war crimes. And we need to uh, fight it, but uh, uh, uphold our values and do it legally and uphold our uh, ethics, our support from like-minded nations of the West. So that's, that's part of, of the expectation. Uh, people who look at war from the outside expect it to be, you know, more careful and cleaner. I don't know uh, any, anything like a clean war. Uh, it's never bloodless. It, uh, and, and when your enemy chooses to go to the most sensitive places uh, as, as, as an, an intention, you know, an in, intended choice, it, uh, it makes it even uh, more difficult. Asaf, you talked about how war isn't clean. What is the fighting like when you're trying to get into these tunnels, when you're trying to get beneath 
a hospital or a building? What, how are the Israeli soldiers fighting? And, and how successful has the IDF been in degrading Hamas and Hamas's leadership there? Uh, it's an uphill uh, fight, or should I say it's an urban fight. Uh, as, as I said before, it's a very densely populated area, and very densely built. Uh, we're now uh, fighting at the northern parts of, uh, of uh, the Gaza Strip. Uh, we sent in uh, forces both from the north uh, along the coastline and from the center, uh, going cutting into the uh, coastline and then uh, uh, trying to uh, meet each other, you know, turning towards each other. Uh, we're fighting at the, at the heart of the Hamas uh, kingdom, so to speak, their, their uh, military leadership or military uh, command area and uh, the political uh, governance uh, center. This is like the center of gravity. We sent there very heavily armored, uh, both infantry and tanks. We have very heavy armored uh, carrier, uh, personnel carriers. Uh, called the Merkava APC. It's actually an infantry fighting vehicle. So they're very he heavily armored, also with tank uh, or armor protection uh, systems, the trophy system that uh, shoots down incoming anti-tank uh, missiles, uh, threatening those, uh, those uh, vehicles. Uh, we work with a lot of bulldozers, armored uh, bulldozers, and with very, very close and intensive air support and fire support accompanying the, the forces. So they basically maneuver into the areas where the Hamas battalions and, and brigades are. They're meeting the defenses of uh, Hamas. Uh, Hamas uh, forces are using the subterranean uh, infrastructure about 300 miles of tunnels of different uh, uh, sorts. That's uh, where the big money that went into Gaza uh, was, was invested in. They pop up from uh, shafts from those tunnels. They're trying to attack our units uh, from close quarters, uh, trying to uh, latch you know, explosive devices uh, to our uh, tanks and so on. But the combination of a very uh, close intelligence support, reconnaissance uh, support, air support, and very strong uh, firepower rolling forward, it doesn't uh, make it uh, uh, cost-free because uh, we already uh, lost, I think, uh, between 50 and 60, I need to, to see the numbers of, uh, of today, of our soldiers, but we uh, assess that we killed several thousand of their uh, terrorists, we are we are facing like uh, something between thirty and forty thousand people in the Hamas military uh, army. We only touch the uh, northwest uh, parts uh, of Gaza, and when you look at the whole map, we we will uh, need to uh, address the other parts as well gradually. So we are looking at something that uh, goes uh, slowly. Uh, uh, but let's say surely, it's, not, it's never sure, it's tough fighting, but we're trying to hit them with maximal damage to the, their uh, uh, terror military to try to mitigate and to decrease the damage to 
the civilian populace and of course to keep our own uh, uh, forces uh, safe and to prevent any recurrence of attacks against our population. But we are still getting occasional uh, rockets flying from Gaza into our towns and cities. And that's part of, of this war. And of course, the IDF is also trying to rescue the hostages, which is so, so difficult considering have kinetic fighting going on. Yes, we, we managed to extricate and release one hostage so far alive. I just read that we uh, uh, found uh, a body of uh, one of the hostages uh, near the Shifa hospital. Uh, just a few hours ago, it was, it was uh, published. Uh, most of them are probably held, uh, you know, in hidden places where we can't reach uh, uh, currently. And as, as we all know, there is an ongoing negotiation mediated by Qatar and others uh, trying to release them. Uh, it's, a, it's a very heartbreaking uh, situation. They're holding there uh, from uh, a 10-month-old uh, baby, uh, toddlers, uh, children, uh, girls, uh, um, youngsters, elderly, Holocaust survivors, uh, people with uh, special needs, uh, sick, uh, sick people, whole families. We have uh, one uh, border community uh, was uh, 400 uh, uh, people, um, you know, community. They, uh, 71 of them are hostages in, in uh, Gaza. Uh, 40 something more uh, were killed. So we're, we're saying a quarter of this community was wiped out. And uh, this is uh, uh, a, a huge, a huge issue for us to release them with huge commitment. But uh, Hamas will, will do its best to uh, uh, try and use this uh, lever uh, to disrupt the operation, to stop it, to stall it, uh, and, and to drain down our national will. Uh, I, th I think uh, it, it will fail because the, the uh, devotion and, and focus are uh, huge, but it's certainly a, a huge challenge both to release them and to eradicate the, the enemy that uh, uh, came and did this heinous uh, crime. Something that's not spoken about very often uh, in the media is that Hamas achieved one of its goals, which is to shrink Israel. There's been hundreds of thousands of Israelis who have been displaced from both the South and also from the North due to the threat of Hezbollah. How long is that gonna last? That's a golden question. On the southern communities, they were all evacuated. Uh, some of those uh, communities were literally razed uh, with houses burnt and, and places blown up. And uh, they really need a huge uh, reconstruction and rehabilitation. Uh, that's uh, several uh, tens of thousands uh, of, of uh, people. Uh, in, in the North, it's a bit different because they understood the threat that was on the southern border. This uh, Nukba, this uh, Hamas commander unit, uh, has, has shown the potential. And then everybody recognized that the big brother of Nukba is the Hezbollah's Radwan units uh, residing on our northern uh, border. 
in violation of the United Nations Security Council Resolution 1701, because this is illicit military capability uh, south of the Litani River in South Lebanon. Everybody understood that uh, this uh, Radia, Radwan uh, unit, which is uh, larger than, uh, than Nukhba, uh, better equipped, better trained, uh, and openly stating years ago that uh, they, they have a, a plan to uh, conquer the Galilee, to go south and attack border communities, depth communities, and, and military uh, uh, units and so on. So the residents of the northern uh, communities said, we're not staying home until you resolve it. And uh, now the, the government will need to address this uh, question. We have several layers of problems with Lebanon. Uh, right now we have an open frontier with fire exchanges you know, seven, ten times a day with anti-tank uh, missiles uh, uh, flying across with rockets. Last week, a worker of the electricity company uh, got, got killed by an anti-tank uh, uh, missile. So uh, first thing is that it's an active war zone for, for the residents. But beyond that, uh, there is the Radwan, uh, units ready to uh, punch through the border and threaten those communities. We saw about two months ago a great uh, military demonstration by Hezbollah in a place called Aramta in southern Lebanon. And the drill that uh, Radwan uh, demonstrated there was punching through a border uh, obstacle, uh, infiltrating, uh, you know, swarming in and doing exactly uh, the kidnapping and slaughter operations that we saw down south. So you don't need much to imagine or to understand where it's going. Currently, neither Hezbollah nor Israel want uh, war there, but the question is whether uh, Israel would be able to accept such an imminent threat on its border uh, for the long haul. Together, we have uh, something uh, like uh, 200,000 evacuees, like internally displaced Israelis. And so, and many of these aren't just Jewish Israelis, these are Arab Israelis as well, aren't they? Yes, uh, the, the threat doesn't uh, distinguish. Hamas uh, terrorists killed about uh, 30 Bedouin Muslims. They killed Israeli Arabs uh, working in, in this uh, party. They uh, killed the uh, Druze. They, well, whoever they met, they killed. So, yes, it's, it's all sorts of border communities because Israel is a, is a patchwork of, of communities, definitely uh, uh, in the south and in the north. Asaf, thank you so much for being here today and giving us some real insight into what's happening, the challenges that Israel faces, and um, the progress that Israel's made and what the situation is really on the ground there. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting. Just uh, one word, you know, before we uh, depart, I think uh, uh, every uh, American listener uh, should hear uh, how appreciative Israel uh, is for the steadfast uh, support of the U.S. administration, of uh, the personal uh, dedication of, of the administration leadership uh, to this issue 
uh, to the huge support of your uh, armed uh, services, uh, which are our uh, brothers in, in arms uh, facing those perils uh, together uh, for the huge logistic uh, support that uh, we're getting. And uh, uh, last but not least, even the popular uh, support that uh, we saw on the mall in support of uh, liberty, of Israel, of, of uh, uh, the collective uh, democratic uh, fight against terror and evil. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I, I can say one thing about the mall. It, it's, it's hard to get Republicans and Democrats together on just about anything in Washington right now, but on the mall on Tuesday, last Tuesday, you saw the Speaker of the House, a Republican, the, the House Majority Leader, a Democrat, set, Republican senators, the, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, bipartisan all the way. So um, happy to see that. Thank you, Asaf. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 